Welcome to Southwinds Online and Happy New Year. A survey that came out a couple of weeks ago said that 91% of Americans were looking forward to 2021. All I want to know is, what were the other 9% thinking? You know, I think that for a very long time, 2020 will be this meme for everything that's terrible and horrible and no good and very bad. From pandemics to lockdowns to economic recession to unemployment to social unrest and fires and political strife. I mean, what wasn't touched? The Washington Post asked people to come up with a word or phrase that describes 2020, and they got thousands of submissions. And here are the top three words. Exhausting, lost, and chaotic. Did you see the ad for Match.com that came out in December, courtesy of Ryan Reynolds? In this ad, Satan finds his perfect match, and it's a girl named 2020. The title of the ad was A Match Made in Hell. And you know, just over a week into 2021, it doesn't seem any better, does it? In fact, there's already a meme out there that says... I'd like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the free seven-day trial, and I'm not interested. And as I've listened to people and read about what so many people are, are thinking and feeling, certain themes keep emerging. People say things like, you know, emotionally, I feel like I'm in exile, locked down, missing family and friends. I'm, I'm working from home. See, exile, I think, describes so well what many of us are feeling. Other people say it's like we're in limbo. It's like we're living on hold or we're in this in-between time between, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID. And that's real life whenever this comes to an end. But right now we're stuck in between. Life is on hold. When will this end? You know, put that together. Exile, limbo, on hold, in between. All those words describe how many of us feel right now. But here's the good news. There's a chapter in the Bible that offers hope to people just like us. It's Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 40 was written specifically for people who were living in exile, living in an in-between time. If you know the context, maybe you know that Isaiah lived and he, he wrote between 740 and 700 B.C., he was writing to a nation facing God's judgment. And the first part of Isaiah, which is chapters 1 to 39, was about prophesying about what a holy God said he would do to his people who were refusing to repent. And this prophesied judgment from God was going to culminate in a future exile to the land of Babylon. Now, historically, we know that took place in 597 B.C., but then the second part of Isaiah, which is chapters 40 to 66, well, this was written prophetically more than a century before the people who were its intended audience. It was written primarily to people who had lived through the exile. Now, because we live on this side of the exile, we know that it would last 70 years. But they didn't know that. To them, it felt like they were in limbo, on hold, stuck in between the times literally in exile. When would they get back to Jerusalem? When would they go home? Or would they ever go back to Jerusalem? And did God really understand how they felt? See, that's why God inspired Isaiah to write these words that we will be reading and we will be studying together these two weeks. It's like God said, Isaiah, my people feel like I've abandoned them 
They don't know when this is going to end. And so I want you to speak comfort to them. I want you to encourage them and strengthen them. And that's why I'm calling our study Comfort and Strength for 2021. Because that's what we all need. After 2020, we need comfort and we need strength. Today, the focus will be comfort and next week, the focus will be strength. Now, Isaiah 40 verse 1 starts with those familiar words, comfort, comfort my people. My people living in exile, feeling like their lives are on hold. Isaiah, speak words of comfort to them. I've just explained to you the historical context of the very first line of that very famous musical composition we call Handel's Messiah. And we hear that a lot around Christmas time. I love to listen to Messiah. I especially love to remember that it was going to hear Handel's Messiah that was the occasion for Dana and I's very first date. And I especially love the feeling of anticipation as the Messiah begins. You know, the audience has filed in. They're, they're taking their seats. The orchestra has finished tuning in. And then there's that, that rustle of pages as everyone turns to the first part of the folio. And, and then a tenor walks out on stage and begins to sing the first line. I want you to listen to the first two minutes of Handel's Messiah. and those words are, are so beautiful. And, and they seem to capture, I think, what God was saying in Isaiah 40 to these people living in exile. And, and I think also what he's saying to you and me today at the beginning of 2021. In the first 11 verses of Isaiah 40, we're going to see today that God gives three sources of comfort and hope. 
And I really believe that if you lean into them, they will give you comfort for this time when life seems on hold. It will change your 2021. Here's the first source of comfort. God's grace is greater than my failures. Let me go back to the Messiah for a minute. Smithsonian Magazine recently did a fascinating article on George Frederick Handel, the the composer of the Messiah, and and they talked about some really interesting history. This is a picture of the first edition of Handel's Messiah, and down at the bottom you'll see that that Messiah wasn't performed in a capital city like London or Paris or Rome. It was performed in Dublin, Ireland. And at this time, Dublin was a very poor city, Uh, It wasn't even premiered at a church or a concert hall. It was premiered in a music hall where typically they premiered more popular level entertainment. Why? Well, the reason was that Handel wanted it to be a benefit performance for a prison, for a debtor's prison. And in those days, if you were in debt, you would be thrown into prison until you could pay your debts. Sometimes that would last for life. And you would be thrown into cells like this one, these cells of mass incarceration. They would just dump people, sometimes hundreds of people, into these cells that had bars at the top. They were literally just pits. And so many people lived so many years in these debtors' prisons. George Frederick Handel said that the world premiere of the Messiah will be a benefit concert in Dublin to release people from debtors' prison. And 100% of the proceeds went to this. And literally, hundreds of debtors were set free and brought back to their homes. And I love this because this is what Messiah came to do, to set us free from our debt of sin and shame so that we could go home, so that he could bring us home. And that's what God says. Listen to verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now pause for just a second because it it might sound at first like like God has punished her and so, so this is how the people have paid for their sins, but it really says her sin has been paid for, as Isaiah himself points out. I'll show you this next week, that later on in Isaiah, there is one who is coming, and God will put on him the burden of all our sins, and he will pay all our debts. And this one who will come, who will pay for our sins, he is Messiah. Look at verse 3. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And he is saying that God is coming to save you. And if you go to every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they relate these verses to John the Baptist, that that John was the one calling in the desert, that John was the one preparing the way for the Lord. And then he comes, John the Baptist comes, and he points to Jesus, and John says, this is the one we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for the long-expected Messiah who will be born to die who will go to the cross to show that God's grace is greater, greater than your sin, greater than your sorrow, greater than your shame. And you might think, "Ah, that's easy for you to say, Mike, but you have no idea what I've done. No, I don't. But God does. God knows. And nothing will keep God from bridging the gap between you and him. 
I want you to watch this next verse. Here's how much God wants to reach you to forgive your sin, to get you into a relationship with him. Verse 4 says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And this is just saying no mountain is too high, no valley is too low, no no ocean is too wide to keep God away from you. Kind of like that old song, right? Ain't no valley low enough, ain't no mountain high enough to keep me away from you. That's how much God loves you. And then look at verse 5. In that day when the Messiah comes, it says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And, And friends, this means we've got God's word on it. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And, and this is why Jesus Christ was born that first Christmas. And, and maybe, maybe that's part of why we get reminded of that reality at the end of every year, right before we begin a new year, that God's grace is greater than all my failures. And that actually leads us right into the second source of comfort that Isaiah wants us to see that he tells us about here. No matter what I face, God's power is stronger than all my weaknesses. So God's grace is greater and God's power is stronger. Listen to verse 6. A voice says, cry out. In, In other words, God is calling Isaiah to cry out. And Isaiah responds, and I said, what shall I cry? Well, here's the first part of the message. Verse 7. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Then verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. What's Isaiah saying? Well, to his first hearers, he was telling them, Babylon is a world power now, but not forever. They have conquered you now, but one day, one day God will breathe on them and they will dry up and blow away. And he's just reminding them of the reality that all great civilizations eventually die. And today, Babylon is just a pile of ruins. You know, for centuries after Babylon, Greece was at the center of world history. It's the birthplace of of democracy. It's where philosophy began with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And the Acropolis in Athens was at the heart of all of that. But but here's what it looks like today. Its it's ruins are just a tourist attraction. Or think about Rome. You know, the Roman Empire dominated the world for centuries. And here's the forum in Rome. And this street, it used to be the nerve center of Western civilization. But now it's just a street of ruins populated, by the way, by a, a notoriously huge population of feral cats. And even our own nation, the United States of America. Do you know we are the, the, the longest running nation in world history that's functioned under a single constitution And for all of our failings, it's been a remarkable almost 250 years. But you don't have to look too deeply to see the cultural rot. And one day, however long it may take, one day the United States of America will be a historical curiosity. And all this 
All this, it's simply Isaiah's point in these verses. It's what he's trying to tell us. He's saying the kingdoms of this world may be overwhelming in human glory and human power now, but only God's word lasts forever. And friend, here's the point of that. That should comfort you. Because this means, this means that God's promises to you will outlast everything, everything, everything that opposes you in this life. But he's also talking about something else. It's not only earthly kingdoms that fade, right? You and I, we fade. It says here that all people are like grass. You fade. I fade. We all fade. The glory of our youth and of our strength and of our beauty, it does fade, right? I mean, just last month, I turned 49 again. Actually, for the 12th time. And I hope that you're laughing with me out there and not at me. But isn't that life, life in this broken, fallen world? You see, Isaiah is saying, I know you're getting old and and I know the glory of these empires around you is incredible. And I know, I know that the promises of God sometimes sound like mere words. These these promises that one day the exile will end, that, that one day you will not be living on hold and in limbo, that one day God will send his Messiah and God will make all things right. I mean, it's hard to see the promises when you're in exile. It's the the promises that look temporary and it's the problems that look permanent. But the reality is it's all temporary and it's only God's promises that will outlast everything else. And friends, that should bring us comfort even after 2020, even after the first few days of 2021. And that leads us That leads us to the third source of comfort we find in these verses. And again, you can write this down. God's love is closer than I can imagine. Listen to what Isaiah writes in verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, God was saying to those first hearers of Isaiah's prophecy 2,600 years ago, these people living in exile, impoverished, discouraged, losing hope. He's saying to them, look up. Good news. You still have a God who is in control. You still follow a God that no empire can defeat. You still serve a God who no evil can thwart. So do not be afraid. Here is your God. He's saying this is who your God is. And he's also saying if you've got good news, don't be bashful about sharing it. And I'm telling you, Southwinds, we have good news. So share it. Lift up your voice. You have good news. So don't be afraid. Shout it out because the people who live around you, they need hope. What's the news? What's this good news we are to share? Isaiah is telling us that our God, he doesn't just rule from on high, way up there somewhere in the heavens, untouched by the pain of this world. Our God is a God who comes to us and he brings himself, he brings his presence and his presence is our joy. How close is God's love? 
Well, so close he didn't send a messenger to deliver the good news. He came himself because he himself is the good news. And you know, we know something. We know something today that those people who first heard those words didn't know because we live on the other side of Christmas. We know that God has come just like he promised, that he came as a little baby that he lived among us, lived a perfect sinless life, and that he then died on the cross for our sins, paying for our forgiveness, opening the way for us to truly know the Father. And because Jesus became a man, this means God understands us. He knows our weaknesses and he has felt our temptations. He understands you. And what I want you to see now is that Isaiah describes God in a remarkable way in verses 10 and 11. We're going to see more about this next week, but I want you to see what he says in these two verses as he paints this incredible picture of God. Verse 10 says, See, or behold, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So he's telling us our God is the sovereign Lord. And he comes with power. Isaiah is saying, our God rules with a mighty arm. And he he talks about how God is going to reward and recompense. And here those words are synonymous. He's going to reward those who love him and trust him. So this is God. He is the Lord. He rules all things. His power is infinite. He is sovereign. But then in verse 11, and this is amazing, Isaiah tells us, that our sovereign Lord is also a shepherd, a tender, patient shepherd. Listen to verse 11. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I want you to notice the word arm. It's in both verses. This is the same God. His arm rules as sovereign Lord. And here in verse 11, we are told in his arms, he carries lambs. So who are the lambs? Well, that's us. That's us. I mean, can you, can you feel the, the tenderness of that? It's a very personal picture because you can only like pick up one lamb at a time. And of course, as God, God sovereignly can carry all of us, but, but he cares personally and he cares intimately for each one of us. God carries his lambs Close to his heart. He, he gently leads those that have young. In other words, there's special treatment for special needs. And, and some of you who are listening right now, just like a shepherd would say, you know, this one just had a baby. This one is still nursing. So let's give it some special care. Keep this one really close to the shepherd. Just like that, God has very special care for you. You know, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. For some of us, 2020 has been so much harder. We, we, we all feel like we're living in exile, but some of us have had to face death. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us are walking through the dissolution of a marriage and a family. Some of us have gotten really, really sick. God wants to comfort you with his love. He is closer than you can imagine. 
And what I want you to see is so incredible about these two verses is that they, they have this unbelievable juxtaposition of truth that, that God, who is so powerful, is also at the same time so tender, especially to those who are weak. He is the sovereign shepherd. His arm rules. His arm carries lambs close to his heart. You know those famous Anne Geddes photographs of of small children being held in their big, strong father's hands? These verses make me think of those pictures. He came to hold you. Why? Because he loves you so much. You know, I remember... I remember holding my own kids when they were just newborns and how much joy that gave me. But, but still today, you know, uh, my kids are all four grown now. Three of them are married now and we have two grandchildren now. And, and by the way, by the way, we have two more grandbabies coming in 2021. I can't wait. But you know, when my kids text me and when my kids call me and when they drop by to see me, it's still so very precious. I still love them so very much. See, that's just a very small picture of God's love for you and for me. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is is Zephaniah 3.17 that says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Never forget that you are God's joy. He loves you. He understands you. He cares for you. So whatever guilt you're struggling with, whatever shame is weighing you down, whatever impossibilities are are like looming large before you, keep looking up to him. See, in the end, in the end, what, what Isaiah is telling us is this. He is saying that each one of us needs one thing more than any other thing, and that is to behold our God, to see our God. Listen to me, friends. Nothing is more important for us than to look on him, to gaze on him, to consider his beauty and to consider his glory. There is nothing better for your soul than to behold your God. So I just want to encourage you right now, take your eyes off yourself, off your circumstances, off your enemies. Behold him. And I want to ask you to consider this. Who, who or or what are you beholding? I mean, what is it that you are gazing on and you are focused on? What is it that you are saying, you know, this is the biggest thing in my life. Because if it's anything other than God, that thing you are beholding will break your heart, will let you down. Don't behold a relationship or even a marriage or a family. Don't behold a career or a retirement portfolio. Don't behold a government. Don't behold your health. You see, all those things will fall. All those things will let you down. So behold your God. Look on him. See him. And you must understand this. What I'm telling you is so, so much, so much larger than just mere positive thinking. I saw an article last month that said this. Toxic positivity is on the rise. I mean, toxic positivity. What a fascinating phrase. Are you guilty of spreading it? 
And then the subhead of this article was, the simple truth is we can't heal grief with cat memes or fix heartbreak with good vibes. I think some of us need to hear that, and it is so, so true. You realize this is all that our world has, and, and honestly, this is why so many people are feeling so very hopeless right now. They can't see their way past this mess that's all around us. See, when we are really in our darkest moments, what we need is something much, much deeper and much, much richer than that. We don't need something. We need someone. We need someone to come and to sit with us in our sorrow. Someone to come and sit with us in our shame. Someone to come who can do more than just empathize. We need someone with power. And we need, we need to learn how to focus our minds on God. We need to train ourselves to have our eyes fixed on him. It's not just positive thinking. It's not just good vibes. And that is actually the reason why we're going to be starting a new series on January 24th through the book of Philippians. And we're going to see that this book of Philippians is a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in an unbelievably difficult season of life. He was in prison. And yet, Philippians is filled with joy. In fact, joy is the central theme of this letter. You know, Philippians, you'll see if you read it, it's all about how to live when life seems to have you imprisoned. It's about how to stay on mission in sharing God's good news, about how to keep your focus and how to live in the face of opposition, how, how to live in community with other Christ followers. It's about how to be content. It's about how to be free of anxiety and how to be full of joy. And I can't wait to start. It's going to be a life-changing study for us here at Southwinds. You know, back to what Isaiah says, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd who came, who was born on Christmas so that he could pick us all up like a shepherd and take care of all of us like his little lambs. And Isaiah 40 is saying to the lost sheep of Israel and to you and to me, I know it looks bad right now, but this, this time, this Babylonian captivity, your, your COVID pandemic exile, he's still got you and me and the whole world in his arms. And believing this, it makes all the difference. Believe it. Believe it. God's grace is greater than all my failures. God's power is stronger than all my weaknesses. And God's love is closer than anything that I can imagine. Because you see, when I believe these things, I can find true comfort and I can find real hope. I'm going to ask you, will you believe what God tells you in his word here? He is giving you truth to comfort your heart. And so I want to encourage you to place your trust in him, who he has revealed himself to be, especially in the person of his son, Jesus, believe in him. He's the God of grace, the God of power, and the God of love. And to all, all you people feeling like your life is on hold, in limbo, you feel like an exile, God is calling out to you. I love you so much. And there is nothing in heaven, nothing on earth that can keep me away from you. God speaks comfort, comfort to his people. And he tells us, it's going to be okay, because I have you. I have you in my hands. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me wherever you are?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your grace is so great that you sent your Messiah, Jesus, to forgive all of our sins through his sacrifice on the cross, to give us grace that is greater than all our failures, to give us power that is stronger than anything, to give us love, your your tender love that's closer than we can even imagine. Father, my prayer this week is that we will all believe this and we will all lean into this and we will all live this and, and we will all share this, Father, this message of hope and comfort. Father, would you help us to spread that word? And God, I, I just pray that you'd help us all to open our hearts to that grace and that power and that love right now. I ask you especially, Lord, to bless everyone's health, to protect us, And I ask you to comfort those who mourn and to strengthen those who are weak. Father, we pray, we pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name, his precious name. And all God's people everywhere said, amen, amen. Before we go, I want to take a few moments uh, to direct our attention to what's going on around us in our nation and to pray once more for our nation. We all know that this week um, has seen incredible unrest and turmoil in our nation. It's, it's been at a level that we've, we've rarely experienced. And we need to pray. God's people need to pray. So would you join me before we go? And we will pray specifically together as the Southwinds family for our nation. Join me again. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we confess that you alone are the sovereign ruler of all things. You alone are good. You alone are our hope. And Lord, as we witness all that's going on around us in our nation, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your mercy on our nation. Lord, may your your people, us, may we first repent and, and turn to you and trust in you more than we ever have before. And God, may those who who do not know you be drawn to you. May, May they realize, Father, that you are the only true source of good, the only true way to human flourishing. Lord, we pray for peace, true peace. We we pray for justice, true justice. And Lord, as we pray these things, we pray for those who lead us. May their hearts be humble. May they desire not their own power, but the good of the people they serve and the honor of the God who rules all things. Lord, we pray specifically for an orderly transition of administrations in the weeks ahead. And we do pray that that truth and justice and righteousness may guard the hearts of everyone involved even our hearts, Lord, as we all live out our convictions. Father, may your will be done. And we pray, Lord, for those who are are fighting the pandemic, whether they work in medicine or in government, would you give them wisdom? We ask you, Lord, to, to bring this pandemic to an end. Lord, as we pray for our nation, we pray for our economy, that that jobs be restored. And Lord, we pray for our culture that truth be honored and that freedom be preserved. Father, the the challenges we face seem overwhelming. 
but we trust that they are not too difficult for you. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what you've promised, to intercede for us when we don't know what to pray. And Lord, as your people, we open ourselves to your will. Father, we thank you for hearing us. We thank you for never forsaking us. We thank you for sending your son. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' strong and good and holy name. And all God's people everywhere together says, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you next week.